I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Our guest is Shepard Buckman, Senior Investment Management Consultant at Equitas Capital Advisors. We're going to talk about the rough year for retirement accounts in 2022 and strategies for recovery in 2023. Shepard Buckman, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And first off, can you just briefly introduce yourself and talk about what you do at Equitas? Sure. I'm Shep Buckman, uh, born and raised in New Orleans, moved home about three years ago after 20 years in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm a portfolio manager here. Uh, we do a lot of um, analysis for individuals as, as well as uh, institutional clients, uh, manager selection, individual security selection, asset allocation, all the buzzwords that people talk about when you're hiring a financial advisor. Right. Well, it's good. Speaking of buzzwords, uh, I think for the sake of this conversation, we should pretend that I'm not very financially savvy. And so we can uh, you can dumb down this conversation for my level, which will help. Uh, uh, I find that I, I glaze over uh, even with my own stuff. But uh, to that point, as we're as we're looking back, uh, you know, I read that the, the S&P 500 peaked on the first trading day of 2022 and never came close to getting that getting to that high point. Looking back, you know, how bad was 2022 and, and why? Can you give us a recap? Yeah. So historically, I would say it's it's one of the worst. Uh, I mean, I've been in the business just shy of 25 years. And this is one of those years that that you you dread when you're in, in the mm. business. Um, you know, the the what we call the 60-40 portfolio, 60% of your money in stocks and 40% bonds had its worst year in about 80 years, uh, if that tells you anything. Even 2008, when we had the financial crisis, uh, it wasn't that bad. Um, a lot of this, you know, my opinion is, has been caused by you know, the Federal Reserve has had to raise interest rates multiple times in the last year. Um, the rates were so low for so long, um, coming out of 08. And then with COVID, they, they needed to, to keep rates low uh, to let people kind of survive the, the overhaul that the economy was going through. And they've had to undo that. Um, they're, they're raising rates. They're selling off bonds off of their, uh, their balance sheet. So all those things combined... Uh, give headwind not only to stocks but also to bonds. Um, I would say last year was one of those years where there were very few, if any, places to hide, um, and that made it tough. You know, where do you put your money when most, if not everything, is going down? Did you say it's six? The the, the strategy is sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what most people use as what they'll call the the generic benchmark. That's what most investors um, look at as. Over time, as you get older, that's probably where your portfolio will end up. There are folks who say, well, you, the older you get, you should have more bonds and your age should be your percentage in bonds. Uh, if you're 80 uh -huh. years old, for example, you should have 80% in bonds. Um, that's an old adage that I don't think most folks really follow anymore. Okay. Um, but it does kind of go to the point that as folks get older, you do tend to be in what we'll call retirement spending mode versus saving uh, an investing mode. And as you're on a fixed income, you need fixed income or bonds to pay your cash flows. Just just again, just back to my financial illiteracy, uh, 
explain the different why are bonds safer? Uh, just explain the real <laughs> rough definition. I know what the stock market is. How, how do bonds work? Absolutely. So in general, bonds are thought to be the more safer investment between the stocks and the bonds. When you buy a bond, you're a lender. Um, you're lending a company or the Federal Reserve or, or another uh, uh, country. You're lending them your money. Right. Um, they're paying you interest monthly, semi-annually, quarterly, uh, or sometimes annually. And then at the end, the promise is, is they're going to pay your money back to you, your, all of your principal. Uh, think of it this way. When interest rates are going up, the value of older bonds out there are going to go down. Uh, reason being is when I come out as, as a company and I can issue a bond at, say, 6%, if an investor is holding something paying 5%, well, it's less attractive across the board. Why own something at five when I can be making six? Mm -hmm. And what the market does is they drive the price of that bond down until it is yielding 6% or the equivalent of what you could make in the current market with a new bond. So that's why as, as rates went up, people's bond portfolios had negative years uh, when most people think, well, I won't lose money in bonds. And that's not accurate. It actually did lose money. You can lose money in bonds and it happened this past year. You absolutely can lose money in bonds, uh, especially if you're buying them at what we call a premium, where you're paying more be, uh, than the face value. And I'll use a $1,000 example. If there's a bond out there paying you 6%, I might pay up to $1,200 because I really want that cash flow. Um, now, as that bond matures at 1,000, I know then loss of 200. So people will often trade that upfront payment payments over time. Um, there were very few, if any, bond indices that were positive last year. Wow. And an interesting point is with such a horrible year in bonds, most bond indexes over the last 10 years have made little to no money. One or 2% per year over 10 years um, before inflation means you really didn't make anything. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now, so looking back at the year, we had the bonds actually lost. Is there now, a, there must be a set in stone number for how, how much value was lost on the stock market itself? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but we're, we're definitely in, in the trillions uh, domestically and, and, and abroad. Uh, you know, wise, is there like a rough percentage? Like did it dip from the beginning? Oh, percentage wise? Absolutely. I mean, the, some of the major markets were down in the, in the 24 to 26% when you're getting into small and mid cap. Um, you know, the S&P was down about 18. Okay. Uh, interesting, though, when, when you break up the market, there's growth companies and there's value companies. And we saw a rotation this year for the first time in a long time where growth wasn't the place to be. Um, you know, people were focusing more on value and looking more at earnings and valuations of companies versus simply i'm going to buy it because it's going up which you, is i think give the me market... an example of what's a what's a classic growth versus value what's um i'm going to give you an extreme example but you know a company like tesla okay uh, and not to comment on, on the companies themselves but you know tesla was trading um at, at you know multiple hundreds of dollars if not in the thousands of dollars uh, and we're really making little if no money um you know value stock would be more think a, a boring company that's been around since your grandparents or great-grandparents were around, a, um, a Procter & Gamble or, or a Kraft Heinz, where the stock isn't going to you know, double or triple in price most likely, but you know that it's stable. And more than likely, they pay you a dividend. 
Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So look, that that's uh, so looking back at 2022, it was awful. Bonds lost money. Stocks were off anywhere between 18% from the big guys down to more than that for some of the other ones. Um, now, just looking ahead, <laughs> what's what's the strategy for 2023? I assume a lot of people are like me. You have your little, well, ho hopefully not everyone's like me. Hopefully other people have big retirement accounts. But uh, I assume it was you, you knew it was ugly and you just didn't, didn't want to look. I and mean, that's what I did. I haven't even looked at this past year. So uh, do you start, do you look, do you peak or what do you do? Talk about strategies for coming up. I say always look. Um, I think it's unhealthy <laughs> to, to look every day like some folks do. Um, I think looking at a monthly or quarterly statement is, is helpful just so okay. that you know what's going on, um, especially if you're working with a financial advisor versus investing on your own, having a conversation um, you know, quarterly, semi-annually, whatever you're more comfortable with, ju just to get their input on, on what they think is coming for the year. And I would say, especially for retirement accounts, um, coming into 2023, the IRS did make some changes that are pro-investor, uh, they allowed for a larger contribution amount into essentially all types of retirement plans, uh, plans you could get through work or IRAs you can do on your own, um, that I view as an opportunity to buy more when the market is down. Um, so make sure you're making your contributions to your corporate retirement plans and or individual plans. Um, and the second, I'd say the more important thing is don't panic. Um, the market does this, as we've seen multiple times in the last 20 to 50 years. You'll have bad years, you'll have good years. But in the long run, if you're a believer that we're still going to be on the earth and the economy is going to still exist, um, in the long run, you'll come out okay. Um, what are your thoughts on interest rates and how they're going to affect the market investments going forward? Are they going to drop? Uh, I don't see them dropping anytime in the near future. Um, the consensus seems to be that the Federal Reserve will raise them once, if not twice more this year. Um, that could be somewhere between a half of a point and a full point, um, which interestingly is still historically on the, you know, the medium to low side. Um, I think you know, folks had, had received such low interest rates for such a long time um, that a mortgage at 6% or a credit card at, at whatever your, your rate is um, seem egregious. Um, you know, just candidly, I can remember when I bought my first home 25 years ago, 6% was a great rate. And that's kind of where we are right now. Um, so that being said, with rates going up, I, I expect some headwinds for, for both markets, just like we had last year. Um, equity markets historically tend to do well in lower interest rates environments. Um, and as I discussed earlier, with interest rates going up, bonds um, on the whole should, should not have a great year. Hey, can you explain equity markets? So equity markets, uh, I say as in stock markets, um, stocks tend to do well in a low interest rate environment because that's the Federal Reserve putting their foot on the gas. Gotcha. Uh, they're making borrowing as cheap as possible for companies to go out and, and build a new plant or come up with new software, hire a bunch of folks to, to grow their businesses. Um, as borrowing costs go up, um, those managers have to make decisions. Uh, can I make money borrowing? And doing that project at seven percent, um, I know I could at three, but now that it's seven, maybe that project doesn't get done. Uh, that factory doesn't get built. So the expectation is that the growth of earnings will slow down, uh, keeping valuations low. So in other words, if if the stock market is expected to not generally not do as well when interest rates are higher, 
does that mean investors should be looking at a combination of stocks and other other products right now? I'd say in, in general, everyone should have a diversified portfolio that, that has some stocks and some bonds. Um, because of the market environment the last five to 10 years, we've seen a lot of growth in what we call alternative investments. Right. Anything that's not a stock or a bond. And, and when I say that, think commodities or real estate or hedge funds, private equity, things that um, are a little bit different and tend to not always move in concert with the markets. And a positive thing is that those used to be the, the playground of the rich. You had to have millions to get in. And, and they've democratized that process a lot. You can get into similar products for relatively small amounts and really gain that diversification without having to put, say, a million dollars into it. Is that because of you know platforms and tech where you can a bunch of people can put money in to a certain commodity through a through a platform? Absolutely. It, it's it's through technology. It's through a couple changes in in some of the the laws at the SEC to to make them more accessible to the average investor, um, as opposed to the uh, the folks who have only been able to get to them uh, in the past. You mentioned the commodities. What what's an example of a commodity that someone might invest in, and how do you do it? You call you up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, luckily there it used to be you had to actually buy a, a gold coin or you had to buy a silver coin if you wanted to invest in, in precious metals. Nowadays, you can do it directly through your account. Um, some folks will actually let you buy fractional shares of, of a gold bar, um, or you can buy what we call an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which gives you exposure to gold, wheat, whatever, whatever you're looking to buy. The majority of them exist. So if you're of the mindset, I I'm not sure why, but I think wheat's going to have a great year. There's probably a wheat ETF you could go buy to, to get that exposure. Um, so that that would not be the case even 10 or 15 years ago. There were only small groups that, that played in the commodity space. Now, is that a thing that you you can just hop on a website and go buy wheat.com or do you have to go through a, a, you know, a professional? Uh, you, you need to probably do it through a brokerage account um, or call your financial advisor and ask them what they would recommend. Interestingly, you could just even Google and say, is there an ETF for wheat or how do I invest in wheat? And you usually within the first five or 10 results, get something that that's educational enough to, to help you figure out the best way to do it. Interesting. OK. But now you mentioned something earlier that, you know, that uh, stocks are low. So maybe this is the time to get in. So if you've got money that's not currently invested, it might make sense right now to get in while prices are low and then you can catch the, the upswing. Um, is that a strategy that, that you recommend and you're implementing for people? For a very long-term investor, I'm always a fan of, of buying when things are down. Um, that's not to say, though, that they could not go down further from here. Uh, I actually personally believe that, that they could. So, you know, a lot of folks will do what we call dollar cost averaging, where you set a specific amount and you buy the same amount every month, whether the market's up or down. That kind of removes some of the emotion from it and thinking, am I putting my money in at the top or am I trying to, to time the bottom? Or one of the cliches we use is, you know, worry that you're catching a falling knife, putting money into something that will continue to go down. I got it. So th that's one way to do it. The other is, you know, speaking with your advisor, getting their input on, you know, if they think that equity should be added to right now or a specific mutual fund you own, 
um, you know, really lean on them. This is where your advisor should make their bones. Gotcha. And now you, you've sort of touched on this, but what is your advice for investors to protect themselves from a, a choppy volatile market right now? You say it could go down. It could be the falling knife. Maybe we're at the bottom. It's hard to say. So what, how, how do you how do you approach that? So one thing that, that that's bothered me about the industry is in a time like this, a lot of the, the folks that manage mutual funds will say, um, I'm going to reduce risk by going to cash 5% or 10% in my mutual fund, um, which I believe is the wrong way to look at it. If I'm hired to manage someone's money, uh, I want to manage all of their money and I want to manage the entire wealth. That shows a willingness to protect capital that if I think the market's going to go down, be willing to take more money off the table. If you're concerned the market's not looking good, don't be in any rush to put all of your capital to work. Or if everything you and your advisor see says the market will be rough, there's nothing wrong with holding a little extra cash. Um, you know, we worked on a strategy in-house that could go up to 100% cash. Um, that I think at various times makes sense. The, the hard uh, side of that is, it's a big divergence for a lot of people who always invested to be willing to say, I'm going to take my ball and go home for a little while. And what does that mean? You literally just it, you, you take your money out of its investments and what do you put it in? The bank? Uh, a money market fund or you know, hold cash or, or very short term CDs, just where you're in wealth preservation mode rather than wealth uh, growth mode. I got you. Um, yeah, it seems that... that <laughs> How does that not contradict with the thought of you know don't don't take your money out when things are low because I mean you, you don't want to you don't want to cement those losses so you do you do it before it goes low is that what you mean? <laughs> well, in an ideal world, yes, we'd all be able to sell at the tops and buy in at the bottoms, um, but it doesn't have to be that binary of a decision. Um, it can be I think the market's going to get worse. Let me take a quarter of the money off the table and, and hold some cash or put it into a commodity or an alternative. Um, in an ideal world, yes, we could say, I'm going to go all to cash at the peak. Um, I'm going I'm to put it all back in at the bottom, but uh, it doesn't ever really <laughs> work that way. Um, but a lot of that is is a function of, of taxability also. Um, you know, you could be selling at a, at a bottom or you're, you're taking a loss, as you said, um, for, on your taxes. Or you could be triggering a large gain in your account and paying taxes that you never intended to. So, while taxes should come into your decision, uh, I tell folks to never let taxes be the only driving factor in a buy and to sell decision. Gotcha. I, you know, I, I became a professional person and I probably had my first work-related retirement account in the 90s, not to age myself here. But uh, I feel like from that mid-90s through now, at pretty regular intervals, we've had on a fresh crisis, you know, whether, whether it was the, you know, the, after 9-11 or, or then there was the 07 real estate uh, related, you know, the, the, the banking bubble, then there was the real estate crash. And this is, I feel like it's been pretty steady. And so, you know, my, this is emotion, but, but my perception is that I've, you know, I've seen the money go up and then I've seen it go back down and I've seen it going up and go back down. And I can't tell if it's really actually growing <laughs> over the last 25 years. Uh, I mean, is that something that you, do you have people who are getting burned out like me? Um, yeah, you know, it, it definitely is, is trying when you, when you go through an 08 and you go through a time like COVID and what we've been experiencing oh, this man. last year. Um, but I, I would say if with fair level of certainty, 
um, having been in it for 20 some odd years as you have, that you, you did make money. The right. question is, you know, did you make as much as you could have, which is an entirely separate question. Um, you know, I, I would say that for, for the younger folks, it's a time where you put your head down, you go focus on working and putting more money in. Um, for older folks, I completely understand the, the panic, I think, that some experience seeing that I'm getting ready to retire um, and my nest egg is down 15 to 20% last year. Um, I will say that we do feel like we're having more crises in the market than we have in history. Um, I would say some of that is, is driven by the fact that um, trading is now 80 plus percent done by computers when it didn't used to be that way. So, so any changes in um, strategy by a large hedge fund or even the Federal Reserve go through the system much more quickly than they used to. Um, I, I call that velocity. You know, the velocity of money uh, is so much faster and, and the, the, the movements can be so much greater um, on a percentage-wise basis than, than they were in the past. So uh, I think the last thing to that is because of, of media, folks are a lot more keen to what's going on. The technology is in your face 24-7 of, of, of market movements. And you can usually get real-time value of your entire account. Uh, didn't used to be that way. You know, you got a statement every month, and that was that was kind of it before the internet. Um, so because of that, I just think it it changes people's perceptions um, of exactly how bad it is. That's interesting. That reminds me of uh, something I heard the, the Jefferson Parish Sheriff Lapinto talk about at an event sometime last year. How, especially in, in that in the suburbs. Crime is down across the board from what it was 20 years ago, but people's awareness of crimes is so much higher because of, you know, the next door app and just, you know, Twitter and everything else. It's, you're aware of everything as soon as it happens. So that perception is very different than it used to be. So well I, said. I think that's that's definitely the case with financial markets. Um, it's rare, even on Facebook, any app you're in, something doesn't pop up about a financial market or <laughs> something um, within five or 10 minutes. Just the amount of information we're all getting across the board and in every category beyond finance and crime. It's just like we're all being inundated. Yeah, we're, we're going to find out what it does to us. But uh, and let me just ask a couple of just a couple of real specific questions here. Um, so as an advisor, what are some of the tough decisions that you're having to make right now? What's like the hardest thing for you to have to do decision wise? Well, you know, the hardest decision is to, to go to a client and, and be able to express that, that more pain might be coming. And, and engage their willingness to to make the the changes that we view as as their best outcome. I've been saying for years that you know statistically there's usually a right answer to to the next path, but emotionally it's going to usually be different than than that. Um, you know, in an ideal world they would both be the same, and and your 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 psyche says to do this, and the statistics say to do that. I've said for years to clients that even if I tell you the right answer, but you're not comfortable with it, it's the wrong answer. You need to be comfortable with what your money's doing. Um, otherwise, kind of what's the point in having it to, to really oversimplify? Um, and, and if if being able to sleep at night causes you a couple extra points, a lot of people are okay with that. Some people aren't. You know, they just have to remind themselves frequently to to take a deep breath and uh bite their tongue while the market's down because they know in the long run they'll be all right. Right. Uh, you have a motto. It's fundamentals tell you what to buy and technicals tell you when. I mean, it's from the heart. What, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a, a professor in grad school who, who, who kind of coined that phrase and I, I tweaked it a little so I'm not stealing it. 
But you know, most people when they're when they're looking at at the markets, they they buy based on fundamentals, which is things like valuation and PE ratios and dividend yields, which is good, but it's only part of the picture. Um, it it tells you a stock is inexpensive relative to where it had been, say, last year, or last month, or or historically. Technical analysis is really looking at money flows. It's it's volume. It's charts. It's it's kind of the I'll say the extra geeky stuff that I love of seeing where people are actually putting money to work. Um, you know, a stock might be a great stock, a horrible company, which doesn't make a lot of sense to people. And it can be the reverse, where a, a company's doing fantastically, but for some reason, the market just doesn't like it. Um, I want to put the two together, and I want to buy things that look good from a valuation standpoint, but that are also showing positive momentum. To really boil it down, you know, I want to put as much of my money in the things that are doing well and as little in the things that aren't because trends have shown that those those trends continue. Uh, uptrends continue and then all of a sudden they don't. But the market will tell you when they're stopping. Interesting. The emotion I'm having after this conversation is I need to go check on my accounts. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a bad time to, to have the conversation with your advisor. <laughs> and uh, um, so just, uh, well, uh, along those lines, my, my second to last question, how does your advice change or your strategy change when you're dealing with, say, a high net worth person, a doctor, lawyer type client versus a you know writer, musician type client? I mean, are there strategies that can work across the board? Um, the underlying investment strategies really don't matter. In my opinion, based upon your your career, your you know your education, your interest in 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 markets, um, you know as as I mentioned in the past, there's certain uh, asset uh, assets that that you can't get into unless you can contribute half a million or a million dollars. That that changes the conversation a little bit, but in general, no. I mean, it, it's the basics of stocks, bonds, and alternatives, and what's the combination that works for you. Um, you know, it, it, one thing that, that I've always done in my career is, is I manage money on a fiduciary basis. Um, I don't make any money. I don't charge commissions. I, I manage on a fee basis where I'm only supposed to do things and only do things that are in your best interest. Um, if I call you to make a change, it's not because I'm going to make more money. It's because you know that it's the right thing. Um, that's one thing that, that in our business is important. And that as a CFA charter holder, um, you know, I take very seriously. That means your fee base versus commission base. Is that what it is? It, yes. Um, I think it's very difficult to, if not impossible, to be a fiduciary on a commission basis. Interesting. Okay. I have a last question for you. As we're looking ahead for investors and just New Orleans people in general with all the uncertainty, what, what makes you worried about this upcoming year and what makes you feel hopeful? Um, I would say, you know, the, the worry for the upcoming year is is where does the Fed stop um, raising interest rates? Um, you know, we're starting to see some positive data come out on employment and the like. Um, th those are my big concerns is, is once they're finished, um, how do people absorb that? Um, I'd say from the positive side, and, and I've seen this a few times in my career, um, never discount the American stock market um, and, and the the economy that, that we have in the United States. Um, I think folks will continue to do their best, live their lives, work hard, buy the things they want, send their kids to school, do, do all the things that, that drive the economy. Um, 
it's going to take some time to work it out a little bit. But that's one thing I've, I've always said is um, never underestimate the American economy. Well, that's a nice thought to end on. Shepard Buckman, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.